hey, so like I was home. Uh, <laughs> I was home for a long time because I had COVID recently. We, have, we haven't we haven't recorded since then. I was gonna I say a, let let let's recap. Uh, first squared just happened, and against all odds, incredibly successfully. You tell us Tuesday night that you can't make it because your COVID test blipped positive before going to the airport for your red eye. Uh, one yeah, of our uh, main on-site staff people went home Friday morning with it. Uh, some other people had some symptoms that were a lot like it, but those little rapid tests kept popping negative. But outside of that, I have not heard any COVID stuff as a consequence of first squared because we were very strict with mask requirements. I now do enough. I mean, everybody, everybody who works in the world sees the same dichotomy. Where it's like you see fur furry conventions like this weird little niche events, uh, doing like doing a lot, and then you go like freaking the church I was in today had I think either almost double or double probably the attendance of your con and zero people and we all just like sat back in for like a, I'm lucky that I get to be like away from everyone because I'm in like this I'm in the singy area which is separated and I even told everybody else like hey I tested positive right now so you might want to stay the fuck away from me <laughs> so I just get my own little chair in the corner and but like the fact that we're like oh do we get one case from fur cons and then people are matched and that happens every day in every business that <laughs> That everybody works in like if you work in a fast food restaurant you're probably around a fur con worth of people every day <laughs> i mean at least not for an extended period of time but freaking we all just sat in a big room for an hour <laughs> singing and talking the whole time yep but but no we don't need masks anymore oh there's just zero precautions at all i mean all the all the U u.s usda all of the all, all there you know all the usda requirements have, have gone away that's what i'm gonna say for i've, now I've got a point. little uh headline for this topic and uh if you're like me you went through a stage of studying electoral politics very closely and the statistics around it because uh regardless on how you feel of the electoral system it's a good entry point into teaching people statistics and how our human intuition around statistics usually is wrong and that's why you have to study and like trust the numbers and then verify the numbers so a lot of us learned of nate silver uh 538 dude in yeah. many recent years uh he has shown his whole ass several times essentially using any number or statistic to clearly push a narrative and not just talk about the math. Uh, the latest case in point, he tweeted, the average American spends something like five hours per year on a plane. The mask mandate might be good or bad at the margin, but it is very unlikely to make a major difference in the overall course of the coronavirus. What a crock of shit, especially considering epidemiologists all over the globe pointed to travel as being one of the biggest reasons super spreader events happened. I mean... He is technically made correct because there's just so much nothing happening in every other possible aspect that in the U.S. <laughs> well, but the, no, 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 no. That he is not technically correct, and this is the primary point a statistician will bring up. If you're saying his general vague statement of, well, but if you're doing five hours in a plane and masks help at the margins, then therefore, no, of course, silly. mask mandates didn't do shit on planes. No. That is, like, that is willfully ignoring 
how biology and infectious disease spreads work. He is picking and choosing how to present his different statistical biases. That is such an evil, disingenuous thing that this dude has done with his power, and he has done this many times. Long story short, Nate Silver's a piece of shit. He's a lib at best, and <laughs> you cannot trust anything that comes from that guy. Every number he puts forward is in service of a capitalist narrative. I mean, if you want to know the probable voting outcomes of our current bourgeois election system, like the the predictions are pretty good, but it's like, what does that do for us? What what information does that really tell us? It tells us well, like a, a, a very select. It predicts of how the our system is going to function, and we don't yeah. like how it functions already. I don't need a prediction to know it's going to function shittily a little bit to the left instead of shittily a little bit to the right. He's got to give me a percentage chance, a, a live uh, percentage chance of, of a revolution happening <laughs> like at all times. Just like, <laughs> just, like every, every time there's a new like big uh, worker strike, it's just like a little ticks up. <laughs> <laughs> every time a bunch of broke people just organize themselves entirely independent of the current apparatus that funnels us into, you know, counter revolutionary sentiment ticks up. Oh, the whole point of me talking about that I was home a lot for COVID is that I, I've realized I'm not that socially anxious of a person, but I definitely get it a little bit, which would sound weird to people because, like, Pepper, you're on stage all the time. I was like, yeah, but when I'm, when I'm like, not, like, on, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not at an event doing things. Like, I don't really – something I don't want to be around people. I just, if people. If my doorbell rings, my instinct is to, like, try to sneak us, like, who is that? Because I don't want to have to tell <laughs> a salesperson to go away. I don't, or I don't want to have to be like, I, I, leave my, please leave my house. <laughs> so it's like the best thing ever, best worst thing. It's emotional whiplash when you like hear doorbell, oh shit, and then you real, you see the just the back of a, like a person walking away, and you're like, oh, it was just like a package delivery. This is great. And then you get to open the door and go like, thank you, and they'll be like, huh. and they'll, be like they'll wave at you, and then you get your thing. <laughs> see, so, yeah. Chicago, Chicago trains that differently because if you live enough in Chicago through uh, winter seasons, uh, doorstop and package thefts are a thing. So, like, that doorbell rings, you're not hitting the buzzer to ask who it is. You are, you are getting yourself decent. You are flying out the door to make sure you get the thing. <laughs> you get your fucking package. The number, seriously, no joke, that is the biggest risk I had early on in the pandemic was, doorbell ring, there's a delivery, I gotta go get it. Oh, fuck, I gotta get my mask first. I I had competing oh fuck immediate responses. It is uh I I our neighborhood we we've found the the you'll get your package stolen if you leave it overnight. Like it's yeah. not going to happen within an hour even a couple hours, but if you like just straight up leave it out for multiple days, like it will it will go away. <laughs> I had one one book that was taken cuz it was I was going on a trip and I left it out for like 4 days oh, probably cuz Was it was it was it a propaganda book? Did someone get indoctrinated by stealing your book? Yeah, it'd be really funny because like I don't know what they thought they were stealing, but probably not like a book. <laughs> I'd be like, oh fucking, because it probably feels like a little bit weighty. Like, oh, it's probably like a fucking Game Boy. A Game Boy? What fucking year is it? It's probably you know technology, something <laughs> solid with a battery, and it's like, nope, it's just like three hundred pages of fiction. <laughs>
some stuff. What do you want to talk about? We have a lot of large topics, and we'll see if, how many we can hit. Uh, oh, well, let me throw this one out because it's a follow-up and short diaper fo- <laughs> diaper follow-up from last week, the MCFC hotel situation. I wanted to say this last week, but like we're talking about uh, damage done to hotel by furries where there were claims of like uh, feces being left in places and smeared on things and like the rooms becoming like insanely dirty. And I just wanted to bring up, it's like, yeah, like this in no way excuses, and this isn't me trying to do a whataboutism, but my personal experience at that hotel is my room was cleaned zero times in the four days I was there. Uh, when we got there, like we... Our, we have a drawer that was just full of like debris, just general debris. Yeah. It looked a bit like some maybe sugar packets, breadcrumbs, so and uh, with various shit. So I'm just saying, like, there was a tomato that sat on the just right, just inside the door, not hidden, not out of view of the uh, main public center bathroom of the hotel. It sat there for three days, like. I know it's a little dirty, but hey, if you clean once uh, every other day <laughs> at a, like an event with thousands of people, with a thousand people, you will be less dirty at the end. But also, to be fair, I think two total people worked at the hotel over that weekend. Yes, uh, every hotel is a severely reduced staff. Uh, First Squared this weekend was no different. Uh, we were short-staffed. Dorsai was short-staffed. Hotel was short-staffed. All the restaurants in the immediate area were all short-staffed. So, like, don't smear shit on the walls, but also hotels, if you're going to be mad about your hotel being dirty, you should hire people to clean your hotel. You know, this is a great segue into one of your topics, reducing skills needed for work. So, obviously, hotels are a bit tricky in that, in isolation, an individual hotel, their margins never were good. The biggest reason for that is, well, there's a capitalism and a big conglomerate on top of all of them. But like, well, I can tie like, this directly to the no staff situation because what does it take? What did it used to take to run the uh, the front desk of a hotel? And don't don't people don't think that I'm saying, oh, we need to go like back to back to monkey. Like we need to degrow back to make these jobs like more manual and harder to do. It's no, like but no, that's it requires not my point. People so to like do the system. So there's two things. One is the systems are intentionally obtuse and not updated. So, like, it is similar to how airlines oversell flights on purpose. Uh, hotels yeah, will not only overbook, but, like, you can put a down payment on the entire thing, and they still won't guarantee you, yes, you get two queens. And they do that by design. Yeah, they oversell the rooms. That's why you can't get whatever room you want is because, yeah, they do that because they don't want to have ever an empty one. Yeah. Uh, not just that, but like hotels, for example, they have all these connected rooms, right? You can't book connected rooms until you get there. And then the front desk goes, hey, we happen to have connected rooms. And then you go, yeah, but I booked that three months ago. And then the hotel goes, yeah, but we don't do that. They can. <laughs> they can. Corporate chooses not to. Never forget this. Oh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, that's how this could be relevant, like, the, the specific thing I'm talking about with, with reducing skills. So, like, and this is without getting into it, like, uh, there is the, the Marxist concept of, like, this is, this is a thing that capitalism does. They can't, they're, like, they'll tell you that innovation is for the purpose of saving money, which, yeah, it also is. A lot of this stuff makes things cheaper. But, like, being able to have just plug anybody, like, a cog into a machine and makes you more replaceable, it makes it much more difficult to organize because if they can easily replace you, oh, they're organizing, replace. Like, yes. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? You get your res- 
serve army of labor. So if you work at like a Marriott back in the day, you'd work at a hotel and you would just you know, like do things. You could say, Oh, this room is empty. Go into this room. You cannot even fucking do that anymore. Cause you have, all you can do is go to like the Marriott website, like employee edition and fuck with it in the same way that me and you do with an app. Yes. United airlines. I've realized I was at a gate and we had to do like a pretty minor flight thing. They had to sit on hold the same hold music. I heard it coming out of their fucking phone. Uh-huh. The same hold music I hear. So at the hotel, you can, the, the benefit for capital is you can kind of, so you can basically get one person to run most of your hotel, except for all the manual shit, like cleaning, uh, by they just sit at the front desk and they just hit a couple buttons. They're like, oh yes, here's your name. As long as no problems happen, the name's supposed to, the system works perfectly. So that way that employee can be replaced much more easily because they don't have any actual power. It keeps them from being able to fuck up a system. So it, they get less punished for having a, an undertrained or untrained employee. And like, you can see all the cascading benefits for a business owner. So the comical part of this is much like everything with uh, fascism. So in-group, out-group, and your in-group is always shrinking. The same is true for the ruling class. They are always trying to erode the unsavory people they don't like from the ruling class. So when you hear a lot about the middle class being eroded, you're getting more into what used to be middle class jobs are now these cog-type roles. And it's not going to stop. They want this to go in perpetuity forever until you really do get to idiocracy where no one knows anything. There's five people who are still in the bouge. Like, you, <laughs> Lennon and them were writing about the one-seventh and then the, the one-tenth, and we're now down to, it's not even the one percent. It's the point one percent. People are becoming proletarianized at a rapid pace. And that's also whenever you're like, oh, Pepper, you guys are too, you're going too far. You're too revolutionary. All that we are suggesting happens is that the bourgeois become proletarian, which every one of you are. So the punishment (laughs) we ask for is for them to suffer the same horrible fate of having to fucking work and contribute to society. Like, that's that's it. (laughs) All right. But, uh. That's also why customer service sucks, by the way. If you ever just like sit around like, how come no one knows how to fucking do anything and everyone just like is shitty at their job? It's not because like they hate you and just want to do. It's because like they probably work there for a week and they're treated like shit all day, even if they have worked there for a while. And all the highly skilled people either leave or they get fired because they get too uppity. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's why they're trying to whittle down. So like when you hear the skill gap in things, it's because companies have aggressively forced out. Let me say experience. Every new person that wants to learn. Every existing person that knew it that they didn't want to give a raise to to keep. And then the people they do promote and give raises to are the people that are playing the game, not actually doing work. Because nothing about capitalism rewards the work, it rewards playing capitalism. You will never fully be able to whittle out every single bit of, like, you will never be able to have a job so simple that a person who's worked there for a week can just jump in and handle shit if anything goes wrong. Like, just having worked there for a while that, oh, this particular problem, I have experienced this in the past, here is the solution, like, that kind of shit. And that's how you run into, like, hey, couldn't you just do this one little? And they're like, no. (laughs) One, it is impossible. Two, I don't even know what you're talking about because I just started working here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're talking about the owning class. Why don't you talk about Corgi Cons? So... Unless you, if you are on furry Twitter at all, you've continually heard about uh, Corgi Cons or uh, the, specifically the guy who who runs them. His name is Treble. Uh, they have this is not me. This is not drama. This is stuff that's in like the court documents. They were uh, 
They they got in tr- they got in trouble over. Let me. I'm trying to phrase this correctly because like, this was all settled out of court. So that it, which doesn't prove innocence or guilt. It just means somebody paid somebody to not yes. be in court anymore. Uh, and uh, about uh, embezzlement from another furry company, like if someone they were in relationships with, uh, they were had a, a business relationship with, and over and over locally and at every con we've heard about them running, I have just hear over and over the same pattern of kind of like, hey, I'll pay you back for that, and then they just don't. <laughs> And that just seems to be how the cons work. They move into an area locally. They uh, sign a bunch of contracts. And then, you know, they run these cons. But these are for-profit cons. And that's also, like, how they're making their living. Off of the backs of volunteers. You end up with this cascade of volunteer events that, like, if they don't, like, grow and aren't hugely successful, then they don't make their comps or whatever. And then whoever locally's credit card is on file, and then they just don't get paid back. So, like, then you, they aren't going to work staff again. So then you end up, like, running through all of your local staff. (laughs) That's what's happened here in Phoenix. Like, everyone I know has worked for them for, like, one year, get fucked over in some way. Like, they said they'd pay for my hotel or, like, whatever, whatever it is. And then, uh, they leave. <laughs> so let me, let me like... uh, bring it a little bit more personal. Uh, I have interacted personally with Treble several times. Uh, Treble on multiple occasions, both in private and in public in front of other people, uh, routinely lies about his events as far as like the type their attendees and the charity numbers they bring in. Uh, multiple times he's tried to proclaim a quadifer has pulled off more charity numbers than First Squared, which is factually untrue. And he's done it multiple times, <laughs> it's too. It's like impossible. Uh, multiple times I have seen him very drunk and belligerent, screaming at what I assume is some partner of his. I don't know, but they're always female-bodied, and it happens in public. Uh, I believe pre-pandemic, three BLFCs in a row I witnessed this, and I've witnessed it at other cons. I've routinely witnessed him uh, screaming at his staffers. Just an utterly reprehensible piece of shit person that has a lot of control and runs these cons and nothing changes. Oh, wait, one more. Uh, last I checked, he's still in this group called the Furry Convention Leadership Roundtable, which is mm-hmm. uh, if you run an event of like over see. 100 attendees, you're eligible to have three representatives in that group. In no way, shape, or form does he not only get any repercussions for that, but he's actively defending all of his bullshit in there, and no one really challenges it too much. So, uh, I don't want to overstate the amount of... Uh, I don't want to, to build this person up into a... I'm going to start throwing out another Marxian term, a fetish object, not like in the sexual <laughs> way, but in the the wanting to assign moral characteristics. And fr- like it, you could almost say, like if you hear about, a, what are they, the relationships people do with YouTubers, the parasocial relationships, it's that's like you've turned them into a fetish object if you're doing a parasocial relationship. We're like, oh, these are my special friends. You, people do that shit to companies. But without trying to... Not that the moral things don't matter, not that mistreating people or just being a, being a dick or, you know, more than that uh, doesn't matter. But just to, to freaking clarify my arguments, because everyone's morals are different, uh, materially, he owns, and when I say that, I mean no changes can happen without his sign-off because all the contracts are in his name. Like, he yes. owns, like, many cons, multiple, like, what, like a handful, five, six. Something like that. M- multiple cons. So if if you want to try and define a furry, like, where do the class lines run within furry itself? Like, ignoring what people's individual income is. Like, people who are the movers and shakers within the fandom and have large uh, control, material impact on events. Corgi's is basically absolute for 
five different or so cons in in as many states. There are many areas where that's their only con. I have to be that person and that uh, disproportionately way more people participate in furry not at conventions than at conventions. But the amount of money that flows through conventions is very interesting and inverts the number of people that show up is like a powerful force because that's where money is. They're still, they're like what, not the only driver, but one of the biggest drivers of like our culture or subculture like moves forward when shit happens at cons. Usually like that's where all the fursuits get together. That's where all the, like you don't have to be in the thing, but you can argue that there are, there are trade shows. They're where we go to be like, we are going to perform furriness in a gathering. (laughs) That's what cons are for us. Um, so since then they've made, uh, the, the, the usual fur con moves, like declare new con chairs. Then he kind of ran out of new con chairs to hide behind, uh, after they also <laughs> threw like a little fucking coup to try and overthrow. Like there's a lot of, like IRL game of Thrones, really gross transactional relationships, fucking each other over stuff just going on in that, uh, just around them because that's what they do. They fuck people over all the time and that's who you end up attracting. Uh, <laughs> but I digress. So then they declared AEIOU, a different organization. But remember what I just said about all the, the contracts all have Corgi's name on it? So furries are kind of having to reckon with the fact that everyone is like, fuck this guy, yet they cannot materially change the fact that they own and run all of these cons because it's in their name. It's The analogy I've been using is it's like trying to kick me out of a road trip where it's my car. Like, <laughs> you can't... <laughs> You can't kick me. I'm the driver. I'm. It's my car. You can all leave, but you it, like m- replacing me is not an option. And, and I guarantee you, Pepper, that. you will find people to get in that car if they leave. Uh, yeah, I can replace you, but because uh, I own the car, the means of production, whatever you want to say. It would take such case. a concerted effort of people voting with their wallets to not go to the event. Oh my gosh! Did we just make a little case that even in our furry microcosm, we can't? We can't protest with our wallets successfully? Yeah, okay. Let's walk through it. That's everyone's knee-jerk reaction. Right? Like That's the reactionary thing. It's like, event bad, don't go to event. And it's like, well, people who live in near Denver want to go to Denver because it's their con. Like, And a lot of people don't even know or care who runs the events they go to. Like you said with the not everyone goes to cons, well... Not everyone who goes, of the people who go to cons, even a smaller percentage of them, like, hear about this shit or yeah, care. exactly. Or they're like, uh, like, or they know completely every bit of it, and they're like, well, I want to go see my friends. <laughs> so they go anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, as many Try- a people in my peer group, I think Pandez has said it the loudest, uh, if I chose whether or not to go to a con based on one asshole, I wouldn't go to any con. There, yeah. And then even if p- fewer people go, then you'll either have a, a counter wave of people going despite those other people. It just becomes this whole, like, in the consumer wars, it all <laughs> helps the business, like, if that makes sense. <laughs> all of the combat happening with consumer activism, it still has consumption. Like, you still have to, everyone benefits in the long run. It's like when fucking New Coke came out. <laughs> and everyone hated New Coke. In the long run, Coke, look at Coke. They're the biggest, they're huge. They're even Coke bigger was already the biggest like, when New Coke came out. I know. And it just completely, like, it didn't hurt them. It's just consumer activism doesn't do shit just got everybody to talk about coke even more so the only action what i'm saying is the only way to change corgi cons is to completely change like new everything and maybe take lessons from how they are structured and structure your new orgs to not do that <clears throat> look at the mistakes made i would love to uh 
maybe I do this. Maybe I have a special streaming session or something, and Pepper, you can be like the audience <laughs> surrogate to ask pointed questions. But I went through changing the <laughs> hierarchy of First Squared to address things like that. Because, like, to be clear, uh, I, you know, fuck treble. Corgi events as an org is generally uh, takes advantage of people and is harmful, but people go to those cons and have the furry experience at them, right? Like I could have fun at any con. I've, I say this all the time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Even if your con and sucks. a lot of the people that do staff those events either don't know or they're finding out the hard way that these things are true. So, like, I'm not hating the community of Denver insofar as the people that go there. I actually love those people. They're furries. They're us. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe I should get some staff together and have an open, here's how we used to do things. Here's how we do things now. This is what it solved. Here's the problems we don't have anymore. Here's how we increase transparency. Because a lot of what happens when we talk about this stuff, this has been the number one thing I've said to you in private on this show that we do, is we have, it's very easy to go, look at this negative thing. Let's break down why it's negative. That overall is much easier to do than, hey, here's what you can do instead, and why, and how. It's, yeah, like, these are solved problems. There are ways to structure things that are, that are not like one guy gets his name on everything and is the end-all be-all of the whole thing. And even then, like, technically, you know, First Squared is still in the process of transitioning. Technically, mine and Alkali's name is on everything. My, myself and Alkali, from largely a legal standpoint, are no different from them. And it's <laughs> how we organize... You just happen to be more ethical people. Like, we kind of just described the problem with fucking everything and how just putting new people in charge is like, cool, you put all great people in charge, well, and now there's so another that's election. Like the big thing that I want to bring <laughs> forward with it is, so, yes, Alkali and I and one other name are the only legal names on the ownership of First Squared, and it's been this way for many years. And because we are ethical, it's been fine. But in my mind, I've been sitting here going, when Alkali and I don't want to do this anymore, I want the thing I care about to live on in a way that at least has a chance for me to be approving and proud of it. So the past several years, my mission has been create a more flat, open and transparent org. And the last part we're doing is making a new 501c7. I'm codifying everything I've been doing legally. So like, I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is of... Here is a template of a 501c7 org that doesn't have arbitrary hierarchy. If you're on the board, you get more power because you're assuming more risk. But otherwise, that's it. Everything else is codified and voted, and you have informed consent. And if you are a staff member of First Squared, you're not just some hired gun. You actually, like, as someone doing the work, you get a say. <laughs> We all recognize that the default is is not that. That's why you have to yes. go through all the effort of trying to carve out a little like pocket of all right, I'm gonna write the perfect Yu-Gi-Oh rules to make sure that nobody <laughs> that nobody can do a fucking capitalism on us or you know, like come in and opportunist. Like an opportunist yes. couldn't come in and destroy our entire organization. Yes, That's what we're that really is that is about. basically what I am building protections against. Both. And if we lived in a world where that kind of shit was just the default, like, unacceptable thing, and it'd be like, hey, they did this, and then, like, it wouldn't have to be, oh, well, sorry, you didn't write the perfect contract in the perfect way that they got punished for it. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe things would be better. 
All right, what else we got? Diaper follow-up part two. Uh, I had, I don't think this is like a big thing. I had like, I had one person in, on, on my tweets who I, after I had this conversation with them, I realized that like a month previous, they were like, we need to ban Pepper Coyote from all conventions. So I don't think they were really coming at me from a, from a period of, from a place of good faith or a No, but other people were. <laughs> but they listened through our, uh, they, well, they say they listened to the last episode of our podcast, which I doubt because they say the opposite of what I actually said on air where they'll be like, they're like, Pepper said all baby furs are pedophiles. And I'm like, no, I was having a long conversation about, I think the term baby fur is too broad. And then I described the three different things one could mean if they aren't. I think, okay. I think pedophiles are pedophiles. And I think people who have uh, either PG related interest in like drawing young characters in art or adults consenting with adult interest in like dressing up like a baby and fucking each other. Those are not pedophiles because <laughs> there's no children. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like definitionally, I think Definition, I made my position clear. Definitionally, pedophile means no consent. It is the key. It is the utter key to all of this. Uh, I talked with several people, and I'm like, hey, listen to what we said, and tell me what you think. And from two people that I trust very, very dearly, it is not that you said, Pepper, you believe baby furs are pedophiles, because you did not say that. And in our laying out the cards, by even entertaining the idea... <laughs> that it is valid for someone to say baby furs are pedos and that is a like a viable definition to discuss that is the issue everybody quickly started assembling their crosses to jump it's, upon and <laughs> the people on twitter that came out guns ablazing did nothing to engage in like the actual conversation on why was the way it was presented harmful? But someone in that thread did get to that, and other people I talked to did get to that. And you, under, you and I have talked and understand how we got there. Same thing with, if you want to draw your fursona with a knotted dick, great, go ahead, it's not real. But if you say anyone with a fursona with a knotted dick is a zoophile, no. You know what it means to be a zoophile? To uh, rape an animal. That's what that <laughs> you means. Fuck a, you We're fuck not a dog. mincing words here. <laughs> you might not like looking at an actual, even drawn or inspired by dog dick. Great. Good for you. I, they're weird. I don't, I've seen a lot of things that I don't like. I'm not immediately going around calling every last thing. We have in the Bible talking about people knew how much horses come, okay? We have people like, oh, and they were, they were slutty and they wanted the men who had emissions <laughs> of horses. None of this is new. We have literally been having this argument for as long as we've had society. It is all about consent, goddammit. If I ever got fired because I had a negative opinion <laughs> of animal genitalia drawn onto anthropomorphic characters in like in <laughs> fiction, fictional drawings, and I got fired because I'm like, I don't like that. I think that's gross. I think you should keep that the fuck away from me. Like a very strongly stated negative opinion. And people were like, 
my rights are being infringed upon. <laughs> I'm calling his boss. No, and like, what you just said there, hilarious. no one's got to like that you have that attitude, but there's nothing wrong with even saying it like that. What's what is I mean. wrong if Pepper says, I don't like animal genitalia on anthros at all, and every last one of you that has that is a dog fucker? Well, no. What you have just said is now harmful, and you are harassing people. Hey, there's a current event thing. So, like, everyone's throwing around the word groomer now, like, in common political discourse, even, like, Republicans are yelling groomer at people and shit. In general, if a Republican's yelling groomer, it's because they did it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I just want, this isn't even a long topic, because there's not a lot of substance to go about it. It's like, are crime happening, or is not crime happening? It's like, I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about. Uh, I think it is, it's, don't be reactionary. Don't say, get what? Gay people have never groomed anyone. And it's like, well, that's a, okay. No, no, uh, we, let, let me head that <laughs> off right at the pass. People exactly. have groomed minors. Fucking, we all can't watch House of Cards anymore because of one of those guys. <laughs> all right, wait a minute. We can't watch House of Cards anymore, not because of that, <laughs> but because, in fact, the show's bad. <laughs> I was look everything up until when Kevin Spacey was like, "Yeah, I fucked a kid." <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, no, it's a, yeah, I tried to fuck a kid. I shouldn't say that's what was happening. I hit on like a person I knew was a child at a, like a cast party. Anthony um, Rapp, and he uh, used physical force to lay on him and hold him in place. Yeah, and I specifically call that out because uh, things like that have directly happened to me. It's not good. Um, but anyway. Uh, it, don't don't go overstate and say because if you hear someone say like gays exist to groom children, it's like is, you, well fucking first of all that'd be a weird you don't have to engage with these people at all, <laughs> but no. like but the reaction to have is not no gay ever grooms children ever. You have to be like well I mean like uh, you know things happen, but like we work really hard as all a right, community Pepper, to like, prevent that kind of thing. Let's and... address <laughs> the potential trouble of the way you have introduced this topic, shall we? <laughs> let's well, just... it's such a ridiculous because it comes from such a ridiculous place. It's like how. How do you the, begin engaging with it? Okay, so let's let's use All this gays as a are teaching moment. Like, oh, I am going to present this to you in the way I would present this topic, and I have presented topics like this to First Squared staff. Uh, every so often, because us at First Squared, you know this, we're weird. We are not shy about the fact that we are family friendly, and we also have full on adult oriented stuff. We have been this way since the beginning, and it's worked. Any parent and kid that shows up to our event who asks, like, hey, we're new here. I, I, in my lizard spandex costume, have given the first Squared 101 talk of, here's the panels that I think you should check out. Here's the ones where it's up to you. I'm, I don't know what you and your family are comfortable with engaging with. We attempt for PG-13. R happens regularly. We try very hard to identify anything 18 plus or more. We have a lot of people that enjoy the adult aspect. For the most part, doesn't happen until nine. And because I'm up front with it and like, go to these things, maybe these things. If this is a concern, don't be here after nine. The pup hoods and harnesses come out. If that's a problem for you, don't be here. <laughs> you got so, call a bedtime. <laughs> so when, when Twitter and the Puritines show up and start going... First Squared's comfortable with pup hoods. Fuck yeah. Of course we are. And I don't address it by going, well, not all people in pup hoods. You can't start with that. As soon as you go with that route, 
you have given the opposition a win. The way you start with it is when someone says, hey, what about pup hoods? My immediate reaction is, oh, yeah, they're, they're cool. There's a lot of art that goes into it. Immediately, make them say the quiet part out loud. So when we talk about grooming and we talk about queer people, well, I'm, uh, we'll see how much of this stays in. I'm going to use me as an example. I just recently made a post uh, finally naming my groomer. Uh, I am 36 years old, and this all started when I was like 15 or 16. And then uh, I ended up meeting that person in person. And uh, I'm going to say this now so it doesn't sound like I'm making a joke but, later, but I've been watching Twin Peaks, and the number of people who are trying to either fuck or be fucked as like 16, <laughs> 17 year olds on like the whole show, I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? Oh my God. <laughs> yes. So, Continue. Uh, I am not angry in any way, shape, or form at Furry for being open, both. Uh, socially and what we talk about physically in terms of uh, people will cuddle and are more physically open than the rest of this country. In no way, shape, or form am I, ang am I angry at any of that. An individual decided to weaponize that and take advantage of me. I'm not sitting here... Uh, I was just having this conversation with someone else. The reason I was so eligible to be a victim for grooming is because of society at large. I was heavily closeted in high school. Uh, at the time, talking about that stuff and coming out at home didn't go well. So the only outlet I had was online. I didn't have a support network. I didn't have anyone I could ask that says, hey, this person's on the level, right? On the flip side, that was my only outlet for being queer. I truly can stand by and say, if I didn't have the internet, I probably wouldn't be here. The repression would have gotten the better of me. So I'm in this awkward situation where I'm a victim of grooming, but I wouldn't trade the openness to not deal with that risk. This is ultimately why you have the Nazi furs coming after fur, because we are open and accepting. We are an avenue for people to try to make that move. And the response isn't, you shouldn't be that open. The response is, why do people who are vulnerable end up in these situations where no one can help them? The openness isn't the problem. So when we bring up grooming, it's not that, oh, the gays have groomed people. Yeah, and straight people have been grooming minors even longer. What do you want? We just went through this whole round of Jeffrey Epstein and all of these powerful mover and shakers being in his little black book, and no one's, no consequences are happening for it. But oh no, two gay parents stole a kid and they're grooming kids into the gay agenda. Really? That, that makes rational sense? As continuously is said over and over on social media, these are arguments that, like, they seem like they are a new thing, but they've been saying the same shit since, like, 1960-whatever, and it continues to have the same purpose. Like, when we come from, from white, the material purpose, like, you can never prove what is in someone's heart or, like, why any individual does the thing, but I think the reason that it continues to be a prevailing uh, narrative that comes up, like, generation after generation it's just it's just another tool that can, that that serves to separate and divide 
the working class. It's it, it's both. It's there. It is if you can have the gays be okay. It that is means made as a tool to divide the working class because that's what it needed to be as capitalism evolved. But don't forget, this prejudice was a thing long before capitalism happened. The I'm saying that is that that is why it persists. That's why it that is, is being that is said why by, it persists today. That's why you demo, can't uh, discount Democrats and Republicans are talking about it on television. Religious bigotry is real. It's here. Well, yeah, sure, but the people talking on uh, like all of our news stations and all of our official media aren't priests and rabbis. They aren't, they, but like, they're weaponizing. They aren't getting homophobic on TV because... individual households that do go to church and do buy into it, and this is, this is the nefariousness of the dichotomy. I've been trying to think for a while now on where is, where is my personal friction and where is us as a group? So, like, especially between you, me, and Zanny and having these discussions of... Uh, Democrats versus Republicans and uh, visibility versus, so like the institution, visibility, and which side of each, how does that affect the individual? Because visibility is important. We've gone over. If you're a queer 15-year-old and you're not out, visibility is important, right? You're talking about media representations. I don't even, when I say visibility, I mean you as a human see other humans doing queer shit. That might mean media, that might mean at the park, that might mean at the grocery store. Do you actually see other people like you just existing? And what is the public's attitudes around people like you? What happens is, in the individual sense, you have religious families, but all the people at the media pulpits, they don't give a fuck. Cucker Tarlson gives zero fucks. He's just in it to be a media personality and get money and wield power. Who gives a shit? But the effect he has on people is real to those religious households. So that's where you get this weird blurring of the lines of, yes, capitalism has figured out how to weaponize this. But to all of us individuals, it's no different whether it's capitalism or just religious authority being terrible. The mechanism doesn't matter to us. Somebody put this in a way that I found really interesting. I don't know, it helped shape how I think about these things. Uh, where they're talking about like uh, just various, why is this group treated poorly? Why, like, why, why oppression? Why do oppression uh, from working class to working class? Not like the, the wage... Uh, not not the interclass kind of oppression, the just like people being uh, bad to e- like nasty to each other on an individual day to day kind of level, and it's it was presented as well the way the system we live within uh, operates it necessitates the reserve uh, army of labor, which is really really poor people, people who are unemployed looking for work, the thing that. Uh, the people with power leverage against us which, when they say, we'll fire you. Because if everybody had jobs, like which is what they claim they want, right? They're like, oh, we want everyone to have jobs, keep creating these jobs. But, but if they had full employment, you could actually threaten with the, I'll quit, like what's happening right now. Like, they can't <laughs> people. like that increases your labor power. And so the way we exist now, somebody has to be on the bottom, not because of any 
rule just because that's how we have made things. And that is true. If you're doing capitalism, someone does have to be on the bottom. Otherwise, your whole like funneling shit upward doesn't work. Uh, we would all just become rich eventually. <laughs> like over time, all poor people would just stop being poor. We'd all just become <laughs> capitalists. The meek will inherit so, the earth. That's what y'all were promised, right? So I see b- ver- various forms of bigotry at least in the way that it is wheel like it it becomes the justifying the missing piece in your ideology for okay who suffers because it's not going to be yourself and if you're part of the hegemonic and no matter who you are you just end up inserting like one rung lower like if you're it's really easy if you're just like you know a relatively comfortable middle class person you can just slot in like one of fucking 50 different things but that's how like gays uh like racial tension and i mean provably as soon as the classes start to unite that's when uh the people who make rules will like make a couple concessions for some people to try and piss them off more at the other uh, you can see that as the microcosm of every union fight is because a company wants to do a two-tier pay system. They so wanna, you're let, the let, good employees, you're the bad well, employees. All right, so so let's go with capitalism is weaponizing these things, and capitalism is weaponizing these things for a purpose, right? And it's not just directly to increase capital. There's a I method think it is to the anti-revolutionary activity. So what's the method to the madness in wielding bigotry? One, obviously... As the, the old saying goes, the chattering of classes keep the lower classes fighting to distract them. That is part of it. But the other part of it, which does come from the l- religious history, is indoctrination at large. Uh, it's as, as you like to say that I like to say, it is training people to fall into obeying authority, to conform to authoritarianism. Do you think that religious institutions made that they manifested the concept of manipulating people into doing things uh they are the earliest example that i am aware of to be clearly blatantly successful at it yes yeah but you gotta factor in the way that our our, how we interact with religion has changed since the fucking enlightenment period where again, you can't argue what's in people's hearts, and you could be like, "No, I do believe that this percentage or whatever of people like actually think, like completely, fully, truly oh, believe." I am. <laughs> I am not here but, to argue what's in people's hearts. I'm here. I am clearly identifying the effect, and the effect is, it's it's blind faith. It's blind following. You know, I don't need to recap this. Uh, it's been recapped for generations and civilization long before me. It's not even blind faith. Okay, in the past, you there was like what you're talking about. The like, this is the religion, and you will do the religion. Like, you could have like, like the king would decide we change religions, and that's like how that <laughs> we, we have consumerized religion. There are ten thousand brands of Christianity, and there it are. was absolutely a brand move to unify them back in I think the fifties. Like Christians didn't think of themselves as all global Christians. Correct. Like everyone, a- Baptists and Catholics, like they used to all be their own shit. And now at this point, if they piss you off. Off, you you like i'll go to mcdonald's burger king yes. like that's how we treat well, religion okay <laughs> on the one hand you could argue that's true today but kind of as you said the fucking king who wanted to get divorced and made a new religion is <laughs> like the the fucking og <laughs> well i don't like this religion so i'm making a new one uh this is about grooming and what is the topic why are republicans talking about grooming republicans and conservatives Let's not call 
Republicans, conservatives, and at-large religious people uh, are claiming that by teaching people about queerness at large, that is grooming. This is the one of the purest forms of projection that you can encounter. They are telling you, they are telling you up front, we do not want you teaching against what we have decided is the way to be. They're saying the quiet part out loud. The only way to be is what we teach, not what you teach. It has nothing fundamentally to do with the gays, with queerness, with trans, or anything else. It is strictly about you will obey. It's what it's always about. And not just what you will obey, but you will obey in a way that makes sense to me for the things that hurt me. Because in general, behind every single person that's projecting this kind of horse shit, they have some kind of rejection or wound. Like, I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that there is a wounded person doing these evil things and that society failed them in helping them handle that. But at the end of the day, they're projecting and I don't have to give it any... I, I don't have to respect that argument. Well, have you noticed that the both the sides of this, like in this same action, the 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 thing and its opposite in terms of justifying ideology, like are created, and both of them lead <laughs> back to vote for your party. Like if you're a yes. person who likes the thing, if you're on the whatever, apparently it's close, at least amongst voters. I think a huge chunk of people just don't pay attention, just don't give a shit. Remember, the winning candidate every year is do not is did not vote. Uh, yes. but uh so if you're on the if you're on the right side and you agree with the like yes we should stop teaching children about the gays well then your solution is aha and since you like this what you need to continue doing is voting is voting for republicans and participating yeah. and if you're the opposite you don't like it, it's like ah you see the way we fix this is voting for democrats <laughs> and then they just get to continue keeping this fight going forever and ever so it fulfills the dual role of uh, giving people an ideological justification uh, for why some I people wanna, should I want to segue immediately into a thing uh, that I find infinitely curious and very relatable to what you just brought up uh, so I just shared a tweet um, so critical race theory a lot of this stuff has been at the forefront. There's a lot of bills. As Pepper, you like to say, a lot of these are nothing bills in that they do not materially change anything. It's like it's the social pressure. It's who to, you know, what can we blame our ills on? So this tweet reads, one thing that led to the little discussed feat of an anti-critical race theory bill in Indiana is the fact that the college board would not certify AP, advanced placement courses, in schools adopting such strict and ahistorical curricula. Florida's recent textbook fiasco may cost them AP status for math courses. And my comment to this, uh, in the reply immediately below it is an IndyStar.com uh, news article. So IndyStar is a Indiana, Indianapolis local newspaper. So go read it. The reason I bring this up is this is yet another of what I call lib shit tweets in that <laughs> it's doing this weird thing of saying, look, the system did something, hooray, when in fact it did nothing. This tweet is claiming that by the system existing, 
and threatening to say, you don't get AP certification, you will suffer a consequence. In isolation, that's a good thing. That's, like, that's a good threat and the expected outcome. But it is in absence of the context of what's going on in education in America. What is going is on in AP education board? in America for the past 15, 20 plus years? Trying to privatize education. All of the people involved that are trying to put anti-critical race theory stuff to get more Republican votes. Remember, it's not about, like, it is about the racism because they are racist, but it's about the power and control. So they're trying to use that to get votes more than they believe in racism, but they do. If racism didn't work, they'd do something else. Exactly. They'd pick a different one. But they also are racist. Never forget that. Like, it's a happy coincidence that they get two birds with one stone. So in this particular case, the system saying, oh, this law failed because AP advanced placement certification. The people putting these bills up don't even care about advanced placement. They want private schools. They want to sidestep the existing system that they don't like because the existing system doesn't drive enough money to the private sector. They don't even hate public schools because it's public schools. They don't really care. It's a convenient thing to hate to work on, you know, to lay the means for their actual goal. It's something free that they could be making a lot of money. It, it's not an industry yet, yes. so they have to make it. A, an, well, it already so fucking is, too. Like, I can't even say that. You're talking about AP, and I'm like, do people know, does the general public know about, like, how, the, the, how much of a scam the whole, like, AP system is to get kids to pay $200 per test to save a little bit of money on college credits to the exact same standardized test companies that they then have to then pay money for to finish their college degrees? Like, the, All right, the we're going who, into this. Like, design uh, the textbooks. Quick little story. <laughs> uh, I have always struggled with uh like english and writing in school it was always difficult to write papers it was difficult to do reading comprehension and as time has gone on it's not so much that i think it was difficult it's that i think the difference between ap and regular classes is how things are taught it's the presumption that the kids in your classroom are stupid or not um i think if you were to put most people through the ap program they would thrive uh, more so than the regular stuff, because the regular courses are there just for means testing and this other shit. Whereas at least the AP courses, those tests, when they ask a question, like in AP math, I don't know if you went through AP math, but uh, if you're doing we, like, our school, high did not school, offer AP, <laughs> uh, BC calculus, like really hard math shit. The AP test was an open ended question. That was truly designed to test, can you apply what you've learned? It wasn't there to, te to have multiple choice horse shit and test memorization. It was to test, can you apply it? Like, the purpose of the course was, if you encounter a question like this in the wild and that's your job, can you do it? Regular school courses don't do that. Regular school courses are all about teaching for the test. I think the next great enlightenment in schooling is everyone by default is in what we would call AP courses. 
two two things what you're talking about what you're describing the phenomenon known as tracking not like tracking as in following around the students but tracking as in you are put in the smart kid track yes. you are put in the dumb kid track which is a way that class uh, divides can like happen even within public schools it's like oh you you don't even interact with what we consider the bad dumb kids who are going to like try to get to go to votech like that's what they which isn't a shit on votech but you just know how things work yes. like ah you're dumb you got to go be a mechanic and it's like that's weird that it's like this and that like the class divide happens and starts even within public schools let alone within private ones where in private ones you have 100% control over this shit and like at what level if you can't afford the AP tests in the to to take it to begin with <laughs> like you see the the initial problem and then you have like my school was so bro we didn't even offer AP courses <laughs> like there were zero there were literally zero AP courses in my entire uh, thing <laughs> like <laughs> So, like, what does that do? Like, oh, you live in the wrong town. Sorry, you don't get the opportunity. Because <laughs> our school funding is based on zip code. It's property taxes. If you have high property taxes, you have a highly funded school. And if you don't, you don't. And obviously, poor people don't pay a lot of property tax because poor people don't own a lot of property. <laughs> Sorry. Next thing. I just, you know, I can always re- talk about education I know, for like I know. a year. Uh, well, t- you talk about education? No. Uh, hey, I'm going to speed run <laughs> some headlines. Uh, so Fox G Green, Fox from Space Commune, uh, they absolutely have, my disclaimer is, and this is just a personal thing for me, not like a protect myself, uh, I like this account, very, very, very communist, uh, on the Russia, USA, Ukraine thing, I choose to not pick sides or interpret there's too much as i continue to say there's too much propaganda going on for little old me to make sense of any of it but overall on the topic of communism i really like this account uh this tweet in particular unstoppable growth of china's high-speed rail network is thanks to socialism one state ownership makes building cheap and efficient two political system makes land acquisition easier there's an asterisk there three Chinese enjoy low fares because their system operates for social and economic good rather than profit. All of these things are things that the USA, the United States of America, has done in some way, shape, or form, either historically or still actively today. I live in the city of Chicago, and there are subsidies for the CTA and Metra, so we are doing little bits of socialism around our public transportation. My comment for this one in particular is if china bad how come they get cool dick trains and we don't yo their level of development is about to like not surpass ours because i don't know if that will ever necessarily happen because we develop really fast too but like it's getting closer and closer so, to where it's like fuck china even has nicer stuff than us so almost at this point china i will always say China, my understanding as of today and learning about socialism and communism and everything is China is not the great evil I grew up believing it was for two reasons. One, the things I was taught, those things, it doesn't seem to do as much anymore. You know, the whole like one child stuff and a lot of that other. And say, you know, there's still Tiananmen Square to deal with and all that. 
China is not some good entity, but as an example of a country that let's let's conservatively say occasionally does things for its people more than capital, it's undeniable to watch. I grew up in school learning about China doing public works projects for show. Uh, Pepper, did you encounter any of this where you learned about the rapid Chinese developments in like the 70s, 80s, even early 90s, and how it was just really shitty. A lot of people got hurt and it wasn't good. Uh, yeah, we like the, the amount of foreign stuff we talked about in my like K through 12 education is just so minimal. All we ever really learned about China is like, it's over there. It's called China. These are chopsticks. Like, oh, <laughs> that's God. about it. Okay. So. I definitely had a lot more otherwise neutral experience to it than I would say most people do. Oh, and they are communist and that is scary. But like that's about it. I got to <laughs> like, tell no you the anti-communist propaganda, I don't really recall it being strong for me. And I have to attribute that to the fact that the schooling system I was in was a lot more progressive than probably schooling in the USA at large. And, and you're just post-Cold War. They did kind of chill out <laughs> like after the 80s. Pepper, <laughs> to be clear, the where I went to high school is called the BG bubble, the Buffalo Grove bubble. The disproportionate amount of money that went to this public school. Like, we Uh-oh. beat the private school <laughs> kids and would brag about it because we knew, like... Hey, you fuckers, we're public school chuds, and we still beat you. Eat shit. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. good. I'm glad you got a more rounded education. I'd, lucky, right? But the, the point stands. I live in one of the hottest development areas in Chicago. Uh, if you know about the Metra, there's the Union Pacific North Line train. And the Ravenswood Metro stop is near where I live. And that is the most trafficked stop of any train in the country. Or so I was told. It has been 12 years and they still have not finished rebuilding that train station. Whereas China, way over there, you know, evil communist China, uh, has leapfrogged institutional transit networks the likes of which the world hasn't really seen before but the propaganda here is well china good when you're doing b2b things but when we're talking about political things china bad because you know china didn't immediately condemn russia and actually china's maybe going to get along with russia and I, i don't know where i'm going with this other than i previously on this show have said very negative things, and to me, still rightfully so, about China's history, but I'm coming to terms with the sheer level of brainwashing that was put upon me. I said fetish object earlier in this thing, and it's that's if you don't 
treat China or the U.S. or any like international uh, entity as a fetish object. It allows it. It's a lot easier to start looking at. Okay, well, what do they actually do? And you can also spend less time trying to. Heck, you're talking about Tiananmen Square. Like that can be looked at, and you can go, okay, what happened? What was the response? Who did what? What parties involved? All I know of that is I'm like ah. Oh, in Tiananmen Square, like uh, uh, some number of people were were massacred, and, and I, you look into it, and you go, okay, what are the numbers? What was the situation? Who did what? What did the student protesters do? Which, at the same time, does not make it any less weird or fucked up. <laughs> the level of censorship, the fact that you just cannot say Tiananmen Square like anywhere within China, or it's just like off the internet, gone, like blocked. Can't search this. Can't learn. Yeah. So like, it's like this look, is, people. This is what I, I I guess I call the the USA paradox. Is really this is what I'm calling it. If you're in the United States of America, and this is probably true of most people's existence. If it isn't, I would love to hear about it, but. The cognitive dissonance of living in today's world is, on the one hand, China continues to do fantastic things in service of its population. You can't argue look, that. You look at the poverty figures, it's the, what, the 20 million people, whatever, yeah. raised out of poverty, which is funny because when the, the World Bank, whatever, will try to argue, like, no, capitalism is good because look at how many people we've raised from poverty. It's like, okay, now subtract all the Chinese ones you fucked. Yeah. That doesn't count, remember? <laughs> right? They're socialist and evil. You can't so you like, don't get to use the, take Cuba out of there. You yeah. can't. Uh, it, <laughs> I am slowly coming to terms with not everything is simple. I'm always going to... St- deeply suspect of people in power, but I can't deny the fact that there are tangible things happening there that are fan-fucking-tastic for its population. That is... The logic... Can I talk about like the logic going in? I'm going to try to tie yeah. this to you know stuff that's relevant for today. So we'll look at uh, uh, g- climate change. Oh, freaking hey, relevant. This will be the last thing we talk about because we're already at an hour. Uh, someone just yesterday, we're recording on Sunday, April 24th, so I think Saturday, April 23rd, a climate act. I've heard him described as climate activist and as climate scientist. I'm not sure which is the more accurate term. Same. But uh, somebody set themselves on fire in front of the Capitol building and obviously died because that's what happens when you set yourself on wait, fire. Wait, wait, wait. So to be clear, a form of protest. the story I saw was they did set themselves on fire and then there was some kind of delay and they died from their injury. <laughs> Do you think so? It may or may not have been accidental. I'd be... I, no, I, I'm saying it's more horrific than you thought in that they did that, they were put out and then died hours uh, later. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm definitely not I don't know how else to frame anyone. this other than uh, if you believe in a cause so much that you're going to immolate yourself knowing that you're going to die, I would hope you die quicker than later. A tiny bit of like if if we want to address climate if we want to defetishize uh essentially everything that's in the green new deal not everything but certain aspects of it like if you people uh climate activists will point at germany and go like oh germany's doing such a good job it's like germany germany's having to use more and more fossil fuels because they continue to remove their nuclear reactors all right before i get ahead of myself so the way that we can move forward 
or like the way we can get anything done is like development must take place first. Like you can't, you don't get to skip steps in social development. You don't get to go from like kings and queens to spaceships. Correct. You have to kind of go through. Even Marxists will argue you have to. You it seems at this point historically you kind of have to go through capitalism to get to socialism because that's what makes socialism is the capitalism part. Socialism wouldn't be socialism if it was built upon a system that was not uh, capitalism. It would be something else because that's the material conditions capitalism. But uh, so you look at a country like India and China, like we were just talking about, they have been developing like mad. You can argue it's like China's the biggest polluter, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're, that's just starting to back down now because you, you do need to get people like electricity and uh, housing and toilets and stuff. So like India, China, what we call the third world, uh, they, they are going to need massive amounts of development to catch up to the rest of us, which, you know, you can talk about all the various crimes that like imperialism has kept them poor on purpose. And the, it's not just yeah. like, oh, they're naturally poor, stupid people in these countries. Like, no, it was done on purpose to keep them poor and miserable. But uh, to get us all to where we want to go, we're going to need uh, India and them to be able to burn some coal and shit while all the countries who no longer need to burn coal and shit are one working on uh, what, fusion energy the nuclear that we don't have yet nuclear and then setting in the up meantime until we get to fusion for fuck's sake we've talked about this before yeah it's we gotta like soften yourself up to it and try to like breeze bring up like hey but you know, nuclear is okay. Don't let anyone tell you that nuclear is like just as dirty as fossil fuels. It is infinitely cleaner while still not being what we would call like green. It's not solar. <laughs> but then you get when you start talking about the materials necessary to build the number of solar panels at current technology necessary to power like anything. And it's like, fuck, that's worse than just burning the coal directly. And like there, there are many aspects and caveats to this. Don't allow yourself to get fucking market demographic into going, no, if it's not solar and wind only. I won't support it and I'll campaign yeah. against it. It's like, <laughs> get them to build a nuclear reactor in your town. That is so much greener of a thing than like, let's bulldoze a whole forest and put up a bunch of solar panels. <laughs> like, actually, <laughs> the amount of fuel to power a nuclear facility for like six, uh, 13 months or whatever is like two dump trucks. You need a whole train of coal uh, for a day like to burn most fucking coal. Like, it's hard to express to people. Yes, you have to deal with nuclear waste. You have a little bit more time with that if you're not blasting a it directly bit. into the air. How about like multiple order of magnitudes more? Yeah. The coal just goes in the air. The nuclear shit stays in a bucket, and you can then figure out later what to do with that bucket. Yes. It doesn't spread through the whole community. Oh, hey, you know, the alternative would be other countries just going, all right, we're just going to skip, hop, skip, and jump your shit right to right to nuclear also so you can bypass burning all these fossil What's fuels. The That's just not going to happen. Uh, what is the number one reason nuclear has not proliferated in that regard? I think in the U.S. it's just people think it's dangerous. No. The powers that be. Why does nuclear oh. not get proliferated? Oh, it's because we have a, a our fucking entire economy is based on fossil fuels. Like the world global, you'll hear like the petrodollar. No, nope. that's the USD. Our, that's our not shit the is backed answer. By, that's a big what are you part trying of to go it? for? Because what I'm saying answer. is accurate. Like our whole like World Bank and the Fed and all that shit is all backed by oil. And if like oil and gas suddenly just stopped being an industry, nope. it would fuck uh, up the entire. Money's empire. already decoupled from it. They'd figure something out. What's the actual reason? What are you gonna say? Uh, the undeniable fact scientifically that for every nation that has a nuclear power plant, they have a voice at the table. 
oh yeah, you would be empowering more and more people, and you'd be fucking up the mo- the the uni unipolar world we have. At let the me moment, let me US be perfectly clear. To do. The biggest opposition to more nuclear, and this has been a thing. So, um, the one of the cooler developments to have happened was something called hybrid reactors, and at this point, I think those were even invented before I was born. Um, yeah, it's come a while. <laughs> hybrid reactors is the idea. And again, it's been a long time since I've read this. I'm not a physicist, so please read up on this. But in general, hybrid reactors are the explicit intent of the material you put into your nuclear reactor. The quote-unquote waste from that can then be used in another reactor. And the big reason you have opposition to this is there are two paths for hybrid reactors. One is the waste of your hybrid reactor goes into the next reactor. And the waste from your hybrid reactor goes into nuclear weapons. So the biggest reason we have been told socially is we can't have nuclear is we have been told since uh, the 80s more that uh, we must commit to nuclear de-escalation. And nuclear de-escalation has effectively been a dog whistle for controlling the power output of what we call third world countries. Yeah, I, I really like how you phrased that. That was great. Now, you will hear that hybrid reactors are unsafe. That uh, I think Three Mile Island was one, and that other nuclear incidents have been in that realm. And when you look at the fact that hybrid reactors, when all this happened, was 40-year-old tech, that's not that surprising. We know a lot more now. We know how to do this safely. We can build such good reactors. We know how to do this in such a way where if you build a hybrid reactor to produce waste that goes into the next reactor, it actually isn't weaponized plutonium. Now, there's, there's one asterisk I must say here, and that is uh, the cosmic perspective. So like Carl said, the cosmic perspective at the highest level is physics rules all. And we understand our universe through the understanding of physics. So what does that mean for nuclear stuff? That means we truly can eradicate our entire species off of the backs of 10 people. 10 people could decide we must do a thing, and the nuclear fallout is game over for humanity. That's true. That's real. And we as a species have to reconcile that. On the flip side, uh. We're in a post-scarcity world. We can advance our nuclear power plants so that we don't have to be beholden to oil, to solar, to wind. Nuclear will solve our problems for more than a century, including the inevitable accidents with them. We will overall suffer less human catastrophe betting fully on nuclear then continuing with all of the cancer we're going to continue to get from coal and oil. And then all your green shit becomes about reducing the amount of carbon because we can, we can re- like, through human ingenuity, we can, in fact, reverse the same process that yes. we caused. <laughs> and nuclear lets us at least stop all of the bleeding <laughs> so it doesn't get worse. <laughs> and then we can, okay, let's get this sucky machine that does whatever. Like, I don't know, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, that, that's... That's the layperson's understanding of this. The advancements we've had with nuclear reactors and safety is even more so. Nuclear reactors plus renewables will get us 
to where we inevitably figure out fusion. We are just about out of time. What kind of what closing thought you have closing thoughts on this last other thing you want to talk? Oh no, other thing that will be less than five minutes. <laughs> I've monologued. I don't have, the other stuff I was going to get into. I'm not ready to preview for next week because I'm definitely going to bring it up again, and it probably won't be like over as as they say. Uh, Disney's special district getting dissolved in Florida. I'll probably know a little bit more about what that means, but we talked about that. Don't say gay bill uh, earlier. Uh, uh, then so like Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, his response was to take some moves to mess with the special rules that Disney gets in the like special districts. Uh, oversimplification, but in a lot of cases, they end up giving whatever local company works there or whatever privatized industry. Like they was like, yeah, do whatever you want. You have the power to make make some of your own rules. Uh, and uh, I mean, like, and as a result, you know, it's purely beneficial to companies like Disney. I mean, it's not just gentrification at that point. It's basically here's a county, Disney. This is your county. Do whatever <laughs> the fuck you want. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna get into this more next time. But my, in general, I think it is good for Disney to have less power. And if we don't turn Disney into a fetish object that we want to project <laughs> our moral fiber onto and be like, yes, Disney is the warriors for the pro-LGBT movement. Pepper, like- I, don't, I don't know how else to tell you, but there are multiple E621 categories for uh, <laughs> Disney characters as fetish objects. As- Fetish objects, fucking bad guys just came out. That's DreamWorks. Uh, <laughs> do, do they make the face? Does the main character make the face? Make the, what is the, what even is the face? I, I'm not. I made the face. <laughs> it like IRL. My human me made the face. You know that stupid like side look where they do that like asymmetrical grin thing. Oh yeah, the one raised eyebrow. The DreamWorks. Face. The DreamWorks face. <laughs> Everybody does that shit I have made the DreamWorks face IRL. I got to fish up that picture. (laughs) All right, friends. I have been Pepper Coyote. I have been Dragor. This has been Last Minute Politics. We'll see you all soon. Get on our Patreon. Give us money. Bye. Bye.